I'm a child of God. Have in my hand the powerful Word of God. Can change lives, heal broken hearts, save man's soul. Here's our prayer, Lord Jesus, today. Speak to me. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now look at your neighbor and say, Merry Christmas. Jeff, you want to introduce your guests that are with us today? Awesome. We're glad you guys are here. We have two geniuses in the house. That's what they, they're powerful geniuses. So let's just brag about it. Amen. All right. Um, any, other, any other guests we have today? I want to make sure we get them introduced. Uh, I, I mentioned Sandra, but do you want to formally introduce them, Lindsay? Well, you don't hear the Addie Mays too often anymore, do you? That's awesome. I bet she's thrilled, right? Yeah, that I brought it up. <laughs> okay. We're glad you're here. Awesome. How's the weather back home? Frightful. <laughs> All right. Well, Des Moines, Iowa, where's, where's Misty? Whoop, whoop. 29 inches of snow. Yeah, no, I don't know. Just some ungodly amount up there. But anyway. And we're supposed to get snow on Christmas Day, right? That'll be fun. Holy not 29 inches. We don't handle it very well down here. Hey, I want you to think a minute uh, about the uh, greatest gift you've ever received. Uh, can someone be judged by the greatest gift they received? I mean, we clearly judge people by the gifts they give, but can we judge them on the gifts they receive? And I thought it'd be fun to just take a couple of moments and just ask you, uh, the audience, uh, what are some of the greatest gifts you've ever received at Christmas? Just, just fire it away. Guitar Your guitar that you have in there. Okay. Anybody else? Snowmobile. Snowmobile. Woo. All right. Anybody else? Yes, ma'am. Wow. Oh, wow, okay. <clears throat> yeah. That, that is a great gift right there. Okay. Anything else? I got an iPad one Christmas. Yeah. Well, okay. Back in the day. Had to put the little clip thing in there to make it play. Yeah, I like it. Love it. <clears throat> How many remember those? Yeah, not too many of us. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I got it. <laughs> Cassette tapes. Eight tracks. Used to have one in the car, man. Yep. Oh, yeah. How about anybody else? Good, great gift? Watch out. That's huge, okay. Yeah, Barbie's taking over. That's right. Geneva? In 1955, our first Christmas, Betty bought me a crystal rosary, which at the time we were Catholic. Yes. And I had to learn how to pray the rosary because I wasn't brought up like this. Okay. But what I like about that one, I think, is that it was uh, establishing the 
Yeah, the connection. It took a long time to get there. Yeah. But I believe that was the beginning. That prayer connection, you bet. And I still have it. Awesome, awesome. Good. Anybody else? Favorite, best gift? There you go. Tricking you, was he? And I still have that doll. Wow. And when I got married, my mother made that doll for Jack just exactly like my wedding. Well, now there you go. And that doll still has a wedding dress on it. She left her secretarial position and moved into the. <laughs> okay. That's. Okay. <laughs> Yes. There you go. It helps to know, have the link to Santa Claus, it does. It helps to have that link. Oh yeah, awesome. Well, you know, these are, these are really good, aren't they? And the memory builders, they don't, you don't forget them. Can you judge people by the gifts they receive? Well, we're gonna to talk today about redemption. We are going to focus on some of the religious figures around the Christmas story. We're in our Christmas tradition series. We talked about purification, today's redemption. Next week, I'm going to talk about celebration. But we're going to focus on some figures around the Christmas story, the Magi, or what we call the wise men. Uh, and if you'll find in your notes, there's a verse reference in Luke that we're going to look at here in just a few minutes. But what's interesting about these wise men is that this is the only place that you ever find them mentioned. It's the only place, or maybe in Matthew, I can't remember now, anyway, we'll, we'll read it in a second together. But you don't find them in, uh, actually is in Matthew, because you don't find them in Mark, Luke, or John. It's the only place that they're found, and today we're going to look up at these wise men, but especially on the one who was on the end of the receiving of their gifts. I want to focus on Jesus, of course, and what we can learn through these gifts that the wise men brought to him. But let me tell you a little bit about these wise men. As I mentioned, this is the only place in in the New Testament, where they're mentioned. Uh, they're elusive characters. People ask, who are these guys? Where did they come from? And what's the deal with the star they followed? Why did they bring gifts, uh, the, the gifts that they did brought, uh, bring? And why were they called magi? Well, that's the 
original Greek word for them, which translated means wise men. And even though the word magi is from the same root word that we get the word magic from, it doesn't necessarily imply that they were uh, stargazers or star followers or astrologers, even though you may have heard that. Uh, we live in a hyper-spiritual society where we like to overhype spiritual things. So some have hyper-spiritualized these guys by saying they would be what we call modern-day astrologers. <clears throat> so the implication in Scripture is that they were really scholars. They were learned men, very, very much, much like a professor that you would find at a college or university today. But they, instead of being astrologers or workers of magic, <clears throat> the Bible never says that there were three of them either. We have learned that there are three wise men because of Christmas plays at church or because of songs that we sing around the Christmas time. But the truth is, we don't know how many of them there really were. And the reason we think that there's three is because it says wise men, which is plural, and so we assume that there's at least more than one. And we usually tie in the number because of the number of gifts that they brought. And what were those three gifts? Do any of you remember? Gold, Frankenstein, I mean frankincense, and myrrh. That's it? Yep, that's it. Yeah, well, some people would look at frankincense and maybe say, never mind. But uh, even though there were three wise men, maybe more, maybe less, down through the ages, these three men have been assigned traditional names. Do any of you know what their traditional names are? Belteshar, that's the one that most people remember. Melchior, and Caspar, the friendly ghost. No, okay. Yeah, these are Walmart names, that's right. Yeah, Walmart would be Bath... Uh, uh, Balthasar is what it is. Balthasar. So I don't know what the Walmart names would be. But let's go to Matthew 2, scripture I mentioned earlier. And I've got it on the board up here. You can follow along up on the screen. Uh, or if you have your Bible, please uh, follow along. Matthew 2, begin at verse 1. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from the eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem saying, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we've come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, Where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. And then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them uh, the time when the star first appeared. And then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. After this interview with the wise men went their way, the wise men went their way and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And when it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. In your notes, you're going to find the next section uh, entitled, three pictures, The Three Pictures of Redemption. And whenever the discussion of the wise men comes up, we often get caught up in the discussion about the star or the origin of these wise men, and I don't want to focus on that today, but I want to focus on these gifts. Because when these wise men came, they brought their treasure chest. 
and they opened it up, and inside of it was three gifts. And each of these gifts will give us a picture of who Jesus is. Uh, each of these gifts will tell us about him. And remember that I asked earlier, is it possible to judge a person or, uh, on the gifts that they receive? Well, with Jesus, it is possible because the three gifts the wise men bring give us insight into who this baby was. And as we look at these gifts, I want to look through the lens of redemption. These three gifts paint a picture of Jesus as the Redeemer. And what does a Redeemer mean? These, this is what we get, or where we get the word redemption. The formal definition of redemption is this. Maybe you can write it somewhere on your notes. The deliverance of humankind from its state of alienation with God. The deliverance of humankind from its state of alienation with God. So in other words, you and I are separated from God. We're alienated from God. And why are we alienated? Because of our sin. Our sin separates us. And a holy God cannot allow a sinful person into his presence. You know, we mentioned the 14-year-old boy earlier that, that killed that woman. When he got home, his mother made him call the police and turn himself in. And then when the police came to his home, the mother stood there while the boy described what he had done to this lady. Can you imagine, can you imagine the heartbreak in that mother's life to have to listen to that? Sin separates us. Sin causes us to need a redeemer. And in the time of Jesus, the idea of a redeemer would have brought up a historical uh, perspective in the lives and hearts of people. They would have been brought back to the idea of slavery Remember in the book of Exodus, Moses rose and led the people of Israel out of slavery under, who were under Egyptian rule. So the connection is that you and I are in slavery to sin. We are in bondage to sin and we need a Redeemer. Otherwise, we're alienated from God in this life and we're also alienated from God in the next life if we don't connect to God. So Jesus is our Redeemer. He's the promised Messiah. And each of these gifts the wise men brought, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, are a picture of redemption. And as we look at these gifts, I want you to imagine that you are Mary or Joseph and around the manger surrounded by animals and shepherds and then these wise men come in. I mean, it's crazy enough that shepherds are there, but then these, scholar, these scholarly guys from the east show up. And not only do they show up, but they, they bring gifts with them. But what do the gifts say? I want you to notice the first one. first gift that's mentioned is gold. And what that means is, on your outline, is that Jesus is my king. Jesus is my king. There is no gift greater than that of gold. I hope this Christmas that we take a time to rejoice that Jesus is my king. Because he is your king. Doesn't matter what happens in politics. Doesn't matter what happens around the world. Doesn't matter what happens with the fiscal cliff. Doesn't matter whatever cliff. We've been on a cliff for a long time. I love to listen to politicians try to talk about this, the physical cliff and blame each other for being at the cliff. In my house, if we spend more than we take in, we're over a cliff. And so when 40 cents of every dollar is being spent, we're already over the cliff by 40 cents a dollar. <laughs> Amen? So it's kind of silly that we get into these things, but gold, gold is, is a very priceless gift. 
Back then it meant a lot, and even today it means a lot. But we want to focus on Jesus by taking a look at, at a passage in John. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made, and without Him nothing was made that has been, been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. So that first gift is the gift of gold. It's symbolizing that Jesus is my King. These wise men from the East bring their best gift. Their best gift. And they lay it at the feet of Jesus. And in Matthew chapter 2, uh, verse 2, it says, Where is this newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we've come to worship him. The purpose of bringing gifts to Jesus was to come to worship Jesus. These men understood that the baby in the manger was to be worshipped. And we as well should never forget that in this season, that this is a season of worship. We should worship Almighty God through Jesus. Somehow we get lost in it. Cindy and I were at the mall yesterday. That's a crazy place to be the Saturday before Christmas. People everywhere. Everywhere. The bathroom had lines in it. Now come on. I'm used to seeing the women backed out, but in the men's bathroom? Come on. Something's not right. People eating. I didn't see a whole lot of merriment. I saw a whole lot of people dragging presents and hollering at each other and griping at each other. And too much of this and too much of that. And that's when I told Cindy she needed to sit down, calm down. You know that's not true. But what does this gift of gold represent? It represents the best of what they had to offer Jesus, and it ought to represent the best of what we have to offer. What is, what is that you have compared to gold that you can offer your best to Jesus? It could be your time. It could be the best of your time. One thing that we know about these wise men is they spend a lot of time finding it. <laughs> Been a long time. And as you reflect over Christmas, can you say you've given your best to Jesus? If not, then why don't you say, God, over the next year, I'm going to give you more of the best of my time. And for most of us, time is a precious gift. It's as precious as gold. And it's something of the best that we have to give. Gold not only represents time, but it can also represent their money or their wealth. So are you bringing your best wealth to Jesus? We are a very giving church. We really are. And I love the fact that you are that way. And I know that you give not because I'm such a fabulous pastor for you, even though I know that's probably part of it. You give because of what Jesus did on that cross for you. That's why you give. And I know that. And I'm grateful for that. And many of you give sacrificially. I know you do. I know that things are tight at your house. And you may can only put what you consider a small offering in that plate. But you know what? It's huge in God's eyes. But maybe you don't have a lot of money. Well, give that time. Give that talent to God. We heard from Krista this morning. I'd never heard her sing in public before. Have you? No. Was that not awesome? She said, well, I'm just going to get up there and sing. And then she, then she started having doubts. 
I'd get these emails going, well, I don't know. I'm really nervous. And all I said to her was, just get up and sing to God and let the people of God rejoice. And that's what she did, didn't she? It was great. It was great. So maybe it's time. Maybe it's wealth that you have. Well, this time of year is a great time to give a, maybe a, some of that wealth to a special project or ministry at the church. Uh, I don't know, but ask. We'll, we'll sure help you uh, with that. I want you to remember that this baby didn't remain a baby. Let me fast forward to the last book of the Bible, and let me tell you that the baby in a manger became the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Let's read this verse out loud, Revelation 17, 14. They will wage war against the Lamb, but the Lamb will triumph over them because He is what? And, and with Him, we will, will be His called chosen and faithful followers. He is our Lord of Lords and what? That's right. He's the King of Kings. Which leads me then to our second gift, and that's the gift of frankincense. And in your blank there, Jesus is my mediator. Jesus is my mediator. If gold represented his kingly role, then frankincense represented his divinity. Jesus was the divine mediator between man and God. Jesus is my mediator, even though I'm sinful and in bondage to my sin. He stands between my sins and Almighty God so that the alienation that once separated us now brings us together. I think the most beautiful image of that coming together is Jesus at the cross. And you may say, preacher, that's not a pretty sight. Well, yes, it is. Because had he not done that, I have no hope. I have no hope. But because he died there, and then, of course, was buried, and then, hallelujah, <laughs> he arose again, We've got all kinds of hope, amen? We have the hope. But it's been said that from the cross, Jesus reached one hand to God and the other, other hand out to us. Isn't that a great thought? Yes. He's the mediator that brings us together, so frankincense is that symbol of redemption in mediation. Frankincense is a gum. It's a resin that comes from a tree. Frankincense is highly fragrant, especially when it's burned. And the Bible often describes our worship as a sweet fragrance to God. In Exodus 30, we find the story of how incense burned in the temple, making it a holy place where worship can occur. It's an environment where God and man can interact. So Jesus is our mediator, allowing us to interact with Almighty God. Frankincense in its liquid form was often poured over the sacrificial bread in the temple. We want frankincense to remind us that Jesus is our high priest. He is a sweet aroma to Almighty God, as, uh, as is our worship and our prayers and the way that we live becomes a sweet fragrance to God. And when we couldn't go to God, God came to us. Jesus, as a baby, is our mediator. Hebrews chapter 4 says it this way, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. In your Bibles, under, underline that word, with confidence. Those words, with confidence. Because we can approach his throne with confidence. He's our high priest. I'd like for you to take that candy cane that was handed to you. 
Some of you may have jumped ahead and already eaten it. And if you have, that's okay. You'll just have to listen now. But maybe you've heard the legend of the candy cane, but if not, I want to share it with you. It's on the screen. You can kind of follow along with me. There was a candy maker who wanted to make a candy that would be a witness for Jesus. So he made the Christmas candy cane. He incorporated several symbols for the birth, the ministry, and the death of Jesus Christ. He began with a stick of pure white hard candy. White was to symbolize the virgin birth and the sinless nature of Jesus. Hard to symbolize the solid, hard was to symbolize the solid rock, the foundation of the church, and the firmness of the promises of God. Well, the candy maker made this candy in the form of a J to represent his precious name of Jesus. So we oftentimes hold it like this, but turn it up like this, and you got the letter J, don't you? Yeah, it's awesome. Also, if you turn it back over like this, it looks like a staff, doesn't it? So when we go astray, guess what? The shepherd pulls us back in. Parents, you understand this one? Come back here, <laughs> child. Come back here. Which he reaches into the ditches of the world to lift the fallen lambs out, all like sheep have gone astray. Thinking that the candy was somewhat plain, the candy maker then stained it with red stripes. He used three small red stripes to show the stripes of a scourging that Jesus received by which we are healed. And the large red stripe was for the blood shed by Christ at the cross so that we could have the promise of eternal life. Sadly, the candy uh, has become known as the, uh, only as the candy cane, but its original meaning seems to have been lost, and that's, that's sad. Because we need to remember that the candy cane is a reminder of what Jesus did for us as our mediator which leads us then to the next verse in Isaiah 118 where Jesus restores. Listen, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are as red as crimson, they shall be like wool. The literal meaning for the word frankincense means whiteness. And just as frankincense is white, leads us to the third gift, myrrh. Myrrh has a dark color to it. Myrrh when it comes from a tree, is actually white in color. And so at the beginning, you can't really tell the difference between frankincense and myrrh, but when myrrh is exposed, it turns a pale reddish color. And where frankincense is sweet, myrrh is very bitter. Myrrh is the most interesting gift of all that they brought. Gold is that wow gift. Frankincense makes the most sense to me at first glance, but myrrh, it's there in your notes, myrrh represents Jesus is my sacrifice. Jesus is my sacrifice. And the last gift represents that sacrifice that he made for us on the cross. Came from a tree, just like Jesus was crucified on a tree. Represents bitterness, just like Jesus' death on the cross was a bitter act to take away our sin. Myrrh, very interesting, because it's used multiple times throughout the New Testament. One of the times you find myrrh was being used in the story found in John 19. Jesus is uh, uh, there bringing back his friend Lazarus from the dead. If you remember the story, Jesus arrives too late. Lazarus has already been uh, put in the tomb, wrapped in the burial cloths, and spices added. Uh, so so it, would, it would help with the odor. And uh, Jesus says he's going to bring him back, but the people say you can't because he already, you remember what he said, what they said? He already stinks or stinketh if you're King James. That's right. It already stinks. He smells. 
He smells. He's been dead for four days. But that smell, when he opened the tomb, was that of myrrh. And it was a very strong smell. It was used in all burials of this day. So when Lazarus comes out, the smell that fills the air is the, is the smell of myrrh. And again, it's a reminder that Jesus' death was not going to be one of re- resuscitation, as in the case of Lazarus, but one of resurrection that changes eternity. And we later find myrrh in the New Testament when Jesus is on the cross. And this is an interesting use of myrrh. Remember, he said, I thirst. So they went and dipped in a stick with a sponge and filled it with water and brought it to his mouth for him to drink. And when he took the drink, he spit it out because he said, it's bitter. It's bitter. Now, there were often times when myrrh was used for medicinal purposes as well. But in this particular case, history teaches us that Jesus is our Savior and takes away the sins of the world. And so he spit it out. He spit it out because it was bitter. But if you go back to that Luke 2 Christmas story, his favorite part, there's, there's a great words that are announced in chapter 2 and verse 11. It says, Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. Now what I'd like for you to do in your Bible is kind of put one line through the word you and put your name in there. And it would read like this. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to Herald. He is Christ the Lord. You see, Jesus wants his death on the cross to be a personal thing for you and me. It's about you and me. That's why he did it. He did it for us. He did it so that we could have eternal life. He did it to be our mediator, to bring us back to God. And sometimes Jesus as king, Jesus as mediator, Jesus, uh, these, these can be somewhat uh, abstract. Jesus as our sacrifice it can be impersonal. But I want you to see that all of these gifts are personal. They're personal to us. They represent who Jesus is to us. Jesus is the Savior of the world. That's a fact. But is He your Savior? Have you accepted Him personally? Can you really say today that Jesus is your Savior? Most of you in this room can say that. So you need in this Christmas season to celebrate that. Take time to thank God that you're saved. Because we live in a world where a lot of people aren't. And maybe you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior. Well, you need to do that today. You know that later as Jesus began his public ministry walking down the street, John the Baptist said in John 1, 29, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And that's what I'm saying to you today. Look to Jesus. Look to the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Don't let it be an impersonal activity that happened 2,000 years ago. Instead, reach out. Embrace it. Take Jesus, your Savior, today. Make Him your Redeemer. Let Him ransom you from the bondage of sin. Let Him be the mediator for you. Let Him be your King. Let Him be your sacrifice. If you haven't opened your heart and life to Jesus, in just a moment we're going to pray together, and I'm going to invite you to do that. I want you to do that. And I think this would be a great time of year to do that. In fact, our memory verse that we have for you that we read earlier really helps us understand and summarizes the great gifts brought by these wise men. It says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. So if you've never made Jesus your Savior, I hope you will today. 
If you've already made him your Savior, then I hope that you will renew your commitment to him. You'll rejoice and thank him. But maybe you'll say, like the wise men, Jesus, wherever you lead me, I'll follow. And especially during this Christmas season, I want you to follow him very closely. Let's bow our heads to pray together. Father, I thank you for this opportunity that we've had to just think a minute about the great gifts that these wise men brought to Jesus. Our King, our Mediator, our Redeemer, our Sacrifice. And Father, would you help us to understand that if we don't know Him as our personal Savior, today would be the best day to make that happen. All you require us to do is to call out on your name. And then, Father, we will want to be baptized because that connects us then to Christ in such a very personal and real way. Every time someone's baptized, Lord, you see once again the death, burial, and resurrection of your son Jesus in us. And it becomes a mark on our life, a time when we drew a line in the sand and said, enough's enough. I'm going to live for God from this day forward. God, there's a lot of people, I'll bet, in this room that are like me. That they want to do good things. But they keep finding themselves doing the things they shouldn't do. And yet, Lord, they want to do better things, but don't seem to be able to get there. So, Father, we're asking today that you renew us. That we recommit our life to you. And that we say, we're ready to follow wherever you lead us. God, if there's some people in this room that need to know you for the very first time, would they let us know that so that we can study with them and help them understand that, that great decision that they're making? And maybe there's some here that have been a follower of you for a long time, but for whatever reason have kind of lost focus. They just kind of need some prayer. They need some redirection. Would they let us know so we can pray for them? God, there may be people in this room that are carrying heavy burdens that they don't want anybody to know about but you. But we can saddle up next to them and pray with them. And we can seek you for answers in their life. God, I don't know who it is. I don't know what it is. But I know that you will move in one person today. And if you'll move in just one person, what a difference it could make. In Jesus' name, amen.